Hi, this is Everybody in X, and this is The Candid Frame. Um, we're almost ending another year, and I'm really grateful to all of you who've been following me over the last five and a half years. It's been an, an amazing adventure in terms of not only producing the show, but having an opportunity to meet so many wonderful photographers and to have conversations with them and share them with you. It's really a big, it's probably the largest most gratifying aspect of my life today. I do a lot of things that keep me busy, but producing this show uh, has certainly been one of the best things that I've done over the last five years. And I'm really grateful for all the support that so many of you have provided the show. And it's opportunities like today that are really exciting because today I get to interview two friends of mine, Susan and Neil Silverman. They're a husband and wife photography couple that live up in the Bay Area who I've known for about as many years as I've been producing the show. And this is the first time I've had a chance to sit down, have a conversation with them and record it. Um, I've always enjoyed my time with Neil and, and, and Susan. They are so generous in terms of just their, their hospitality, their warmth, their openness, but they're also very amazing photographers. And despite the fact that they're married to each other and they spend a lot of time shooting together, you would think that their styles and the looks of their images are very, are very similar, but each has a very distinctive approach. Though you can't go to their websites and identify which one was shot by Susan and which was shot by Neil, sitting down and talking to them really reveals a, a sen the unique sensibility that each brings to their photographic practice and how they complement each other so nicely. And I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to share our conversation with you. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Adobe Lightroom. Perfect your photography from shoot to finish with Adobe Lightroom's 4 software. Now, I've been using Adobe Lightroom since its inception, and it's made a huge difference in my photography from, from capture to cataloging to organizing to final output to putting together portfolios. And if you haven't had the opportunity to play around and use the software, I really recommend that you do. It's, it's, it's really a game changer for photographers in terms of a complete workflow that is so efficient and so effective that I think that once you've had the opportunity to practice with it and use it, you won't go back to whatever else you were using. If you haven't had the opportunity to use the software, I really recommend that you click on the link in the show notes or on the website for thecandidframe.com and download the fully functioning trial version of Adobe Lightroom 4. It will provide you an opportunity to find out for yourself how well this software can work for you. And if you already own the software, you'll find a wealth of resources on that link that teach you more about how you can take advantage of this amazing software. And I also have videos of my own that I've been providing on my YouTube channel. Links again will be in the show notes and on the website. And there I show you how I personally use Adobe Lightroom to make a big difference in my photography. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Well, Neil and Susan, welcome to the Candid Frame. It's been too long since I've had a chance to talk to you. I'm, I'm so pleased to have to to have a chance to sit down and chat with you guys again. Oh, thank you. It's great, great for us too. We've always enjoyed it when we've been able to see you face to face. But this is the next best thing, I think. Yeah, 
I was realizing I don't know um, much about your story, so I, I was real curious because you both share a passion for for photography. Did you guys already did that come after you got caught together, or or was that happening before you got together? Well, she had the first camera. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it wasn't very respectful, but it was the first one, and. Uh, Actually, we went on a, our very first trip. We went into camping in Glacier. We were living in Ohio at the time. We went west to Glacier, and I had this little camera, and we came home with one roll of film, and it was terrible. I mean, it was just this little old box camera, and the majesty of the mountains was totally lost. Everything was lost. And But instead of killing our love for it, it just got us going and got us really interested in the mountains were so big when we saw them, and then when we got the pictures back, they were so tiny. <laughs> it was like a real wake-up moment. But basically, uh, we took a trip to Nicaragua as a part of a Baptist church group, uh, missionary type of uh, uh, community affair. Mm-hmm. And when we were going, we knew we had to do some reporting when we got back. And we didn't know how to take great pictures at the time. This is a long, long, long time ago. And one of our neighbors was a professional photographer. He took me out, picked out a camera, and it was a a Nichromat back in those days. And he took me out every day for a week. And we shot, got the film developed uh, within the next day, looked at him, he critiqued him. I don't think too many people have ever gotten a start like that. It was pretty amazing. Within a week, we knew pretty much what we were doing, and we did uh, a great job. When we came back, uh, half of the film came out great, and the other half came out blank because the one thing they didn't tell us was about that spool and having it set back down all the way. (laughs) (laughs) So the sucker was spinning upon itself. (laughs) But the ones we shot came out great, and that was uh, quite a motivation on travel, and we've had people that. photography, we did. got some wonderful images of people. We're in a very, very poor area of Nicaragua that was trying to develop itself into community, and it was just a very heartfelt area. We got some. This was back in the Somoza days, and we were up in oh, okay. Shenandega, yeah. and then on from there toward Puerto Marazan, and uh we got infected, addicted to travel, and so it's been that way ever since. So did uh, sharing uh, sharing a single camera, was that short-lived? Well, you know, we both shoot together to this day, uh, not always with one camera. Um, we both have cameras, but we definitely work on uh, our shots together a lot of the time. Yeah, because it's, it's unusual that, you know, that that both – you know, both spouses end up getting into photography. It's usually one or the other. Even if they sort of get into it together, there's usually one person that sort of, you know, gets into it and sort of the other person sort of finds some other focus. Why do you think, what was the advantage of having two of you that really were passionate about photography as opposed to just doing it singly? Boy, we sure see things differently. And to this day we do. differently. And I don't know, I just... You know, I mean, it's nice because it's really a, a common interest. And, yes, I know what you mean. We have friends and no other couples where it, the one person kind of really takes the reins and goes with it and the other one falls off. But I don't. we're never, like, competing with each other because we see things so differently. I think that's a, a, 
a falling off point for people if they're trying to compete between each other or maybe trying to shoot the same thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But we have just different ways of seeing and and working that we... uh, it just works out. I mean, when we're together, we both have our input. If we're in one camera, but then if we're both shooting our own, we're kind of in the same area, but off in our own, each one of us uh, taking our own directions. So I think that's what kind of makes it work. Mm-hmm. How- we can look at an image, and we know. I mean, both of us know without even the file name wh- which one of us shot it. You know, we can just tell. How would you each describe each other's style rather than, than your own? Mm. Oh, that's a great. <laughs> that's a great one. Um, well, maybe we should. Well, you have images in front of you, but nobody else does. So. <laughs> well, I'll have a link to the to the to the website uh, on the blog, so people will be able to check it out there. But um, uh, you know, we don't usually separate the ID on our images. It's usually all um, copyright Susan and Neil Silverman photography. So we haven't really. Um, tried to separate them that way. But I guess mm. we know the difference, and uh, I'm not sure we've described it a whole lot. I've never really kind of thought about it. I probably follow the rules a little more and try to break them certain ways, and Susan probably never follows the rules. If we were with a group at one of our workshops, and if uh, a dozen people were all standing on a viewpoint looking out uh, one direction, I would guarantee you Susan is uh, 180 degrees shooting the other direction and almost always bucking the system that way and finding amazing things a lot of the time. So when we're at a workshop, I'm always telling people, take a look at Susan. If she's somewhere doing something halfway different, follow her, yeah. <laughs> look at it. So hopefully the combination of the, boy, the boy, way we both see is uh, pretty healthy for the workshop people. It, it must be interesting when you have the opportunity to sit back after a trip and look at what the other person photographed because, you know, you're in the same environment at the same time of day, you know, same location and all that. But each of you is creating markedly different photographs. What's what, what's sort of your takeaway when you take a look at that other person's image? Um, you mentioned that you're not competitive, but I'm sure that you're um, sort of learning and sort of thinking about your own photography when you're looking at the other person's. Well, not only the other person's, but even people at the workshops just seeing the way they're looking. I mean, we we encourage everybody to look through each other's viewfinders, and we do that with each other too. I think that's one of the greatest things about being around some other people. It's just that a lot of groups uh, or a lot of people are very um, self-possessing about their stuff and don't really want to even take the time to run over. They're so into... Um, bracketing, doing everything every which way on the one shot that they don't want to even take a second away to go over and look at somebody else's and see that they might be seeing something so different and unique and even that they don't necessarily have to copy them, but it might give them a new direction to look. Yeah, And I think that happens with us. Uh, to answer your question, I think a lot of the times Susan's looking for some other angle. So Perhaps we were at somewhere famous like Mesa Arch in Canyonlands, and almost everybody is shooting the arch. Well, Susan will be shooting something else around the arch, and there is so much more there. But, uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot even lately, how 
will be in a national park or somewhere where, say, Ansel's been, or just people coming that want to put their tripod in the exact same marks and take that shot, and they are, they're destined to just try to do that everywhere they go. It's like their major um, – well, we know some people that want to go to the highest mountains, all the highest mountains in the U.S., and climb them. We know people that want to photograph every one of Ansel's shots, and that's all they think about, or other great photographers. Um, but then we always like to look at these places. Sometimes we have a, a show we, we do that's called No Viewpoint. It's a body and it's, of work. Of it's a body of work where it's where no one's been. <laughs> it's like nothing common uh, with any of the great shots of the world, and yet they're some of our favorite shots we've ever done. Mm. Well, Susan, I'm, I'm kind of curious in terms of your take of his work because he's he said uh, you know that you seem to be um, sort of a counterpoint to what a lot of people sort of see and shoot. But how, how do you, what do you how do you see your your husband's work? Uh, I think he's got uh, he's very very technically uh, right on. Do you know what I mean? He's he's really has all the technique, I think, down really solid, and he's very good at composing and knowing what he's going to get out of the lens and out of the camera. He rarely has surprises when he comes home. He's really good. He's got a, a, a great eye for, uh, for seeing that and, 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 and bringing home what he wants. And He's got a really good success rate, you know. I, I, truthfully, I, mine are not as successful because a lot of them are a little bit out of the edge. But when I get a really good one, it's all the worth it, you know. When I get the the ones that I really care for that really ring out, I'm happy with it. But uh, I don't know. He's just he's just. I really respect his photography. He's got just a great. Not only great eye, but just a great way of accomplishing what he wants with his camera. And he never gives up. And one thing that we have have our our newsletter we send out or our blurb that we send out to people on our mailing list is called One Last Shot. And, you know, you have to almost peel him off off the ground. He will stay for that one last shot, that one last image, and so often... It just works out to be one of the best. It's mm. it's funny where people could say, you know, you think you're done and you've had it. He never loses his energy, and he's just always he's just always on and and ready to to find something else. And so often, some of the best things, the images that will come out of a shoot are the ones that are kind of after the fact, so to especially, speak. Especially, actually, especially when we're photographing people. Uh, who are not candid stuff, but people who want to be photographed for uh, an assignment or uh, some type of a job. Just this morning, we were photographing in Napa in the vineyards for a vineyard owner. and Harvest. A harvest. harvest. And he had some shots he wanted. And then we did a few more things. And, you know, he, like everybody else that isn't a professional model, is going to be probably a little uneasy in front of the camera. And we just find sometimes the last shot or two is the one. Mm. It's almost like you're done. And, hey, let's just try this for a second. And, got boom, there is the shot of shots. Happened this morning. Happens an awful lot of the time. 
So I think there is a major warm-up factor, especially with people photography. But also in landscape. You know, one of our favorite stories is we were at one of our workshops out in the Palouse, and it was um, we were out to photograph the, the sunset, and it started to rain, and it was a horrible, horrible storm, and it was non-ending and black, dark skies. And, I mean, there, it looked like there was no end in sight. And we had detoured and gone quite a way out of the ways because we had found this beautiful, huge field of sunflowers that was someone was growing that was backing up into the wheat. It was a gorgeous area. And everybody was ready to go. It was a long haul to get out there. We got out there. The sky was bleak and overcast. It was just terrible. And Neil hung on. He kept saying, I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, after we were there, when most people would have quit and gone on. Their cars were all steamed up. <laughs> and they were and they were steaming. And they were they steaming. But it would have been like an hour back to the motel to maybe go out again or maybe not. And, then, and I uh, saw this one little spot of blue. Well, when I see that one little spot of blue, man, I get pretty excited because I know there's probably a second and a third. Probably within 15 minutes, people were getting the most beautiful shots of their life with sunflowers against black sky clouds with rainbows and gorgeous light peeking through. Yeah, so those things happen all the time. So, As long as I've known you, you guys have as much love of of teaching photography as you do shooting it. Um, in the in the little time that I've I had the chance to hang out with you, it was really neat to observe you and to just to hear you talk about photography, and and I'm wondering how it, it it's it's like teaching together. Uh, it seems like you complement each other really well in terms of what you end up sharing and how you end up sharing with the people who take your workshops. Yeah, you know, I really, uh, we both love it. We both enjoy it. And it doesn't matter what level someone's at. You know, we have people come. We always talk about the person that comes to our workshop and they're taking their camera, their camera out of the box for the first time, maybe their first digital camera. And we've also had full-time professionals. And our groups just mix well together. And, uh, you know, we pretty much eat all our meals together. uh, And pretty much from sunrise to sunset and a little before and a little after, uh, we're together, but the groups get along, and we just have a great time with the people. It's fun, and it's fun to to watch, you know, watch the layers, the revelation come to somebody who's who's got the love of photography, got the the thirst for it, the knowledge for it, and just to watch it, just kind of all start to come together for them, and and it's it's exciting it's really wonderful it's as fun to to watch somebody get the image in their own camera as it is to get it in our own camera it really is and we've got special places we go and a lot of private access where we go so people usually can get shots they're just shots of their lifetime really yeah in thinking about my own photographic life i think about times where i've experienced burnout where i'm sort of reluctant or just not making enough time to shoot or I'm very just unhappy with the work that I'm producing. How does having someone, another photographer in the family affect sort of moments like that? Does it help that you're, you're both at very sort of different places? And does it help to get out of that, of that rut or that funk when you do get in them? Or? Well, you have somebody to yell at instead of yelling at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it does because like, I know what you mean. And, both of us, either one of us can hit kind of a down slope, but fortunately it doesn't always seem to be at the same time. So the other person kind of carries us along, carries each other along. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One of us is 
if we're in a, a certain area, one of us is really into it. Maybe the other one's kind of feeling like it's over. And sometimes when you just kind of wait those periods out or or do something a little different or maybe look through each other's lenses and get kind of a, a, a refresh, kind of like hitting your refresh button on your computer, it really I think, cha- you know, Susan said changing something up, and I and that is big. I mean, even today, uh, we've been shooting all this week, and every day this week, I would say – when we're out there and the light starts getting tough, the contrast comes up after sunrise, and it's pretty tough out in the vineyards like that. Um, and there gets to be a point where maybe I'm starting out with a 20-millimeter lens and shooting that all through that. And then you're almost ready to go home. And probably most people would go home at that certain point. A lot of times I'll just take a break, put the camera down, just walk around, have a drink, uh, eat some grapes, whatever. And then if I go back with a different lens, I swear to God, it's another new world. Um, And there's more shooting to do. And all of a sudden you go, my God, if I had left and not gotten this shot. So I think you can even stimulate yourself besides stimulating each other. And that happens on most shoots if they're um, intricate or long in any way. How about um, talk to me about the editing process? How does that work? Do you guys go through your, you know, your, your own shots, pick your favorites, and then sort of get the other person's feedback? Do you just work without the other person's, you know, um, perspective in terms of the image? How does that? How does that sort of work for you guys? Uh, we don't do a whole lot in terms of putting a lot of energy into our editing. And I know that sounds silly, but we always seem to be looking at the next. <laughs> The next shoot and the next shot. Um, So obviously some things have to be done. And we are so busy with either teaching, traveling, or um, just being involved in life like most people. We have had somebody for the last bunch of years, a student that's been working uh, with us and for us, who just went on to uh, engineering graduate school. So actually, we're looking for someone else to do that exact same thing, to work Photoshop and Lightroom. And that person had been with us long enough that we gave him major editing responsibilities and never uh, never really ever had a problem with that. We were both thrilled with how he looked at it and was sensitive to the images and not overworking them. Um, but, and by, we actually let him do the major editing. Yeah. Well, by editing, I meant less, uh, you know, manipulation of the image, but picking the images that you like best. Uh, that's exactly what I mean. I oh, swear really? To God. We do it he, together. We don't like. I don't sit and work, look at just mine, or Neil look at his. We they're kind of a joint package. Yeah, it's kind of a joint package. But we actually let him do that editing, uh, of picking out, um, flagging. A lot of it was done that way. And I'll tell you, uh, years and years ago, I assisted Brian Peterson for several years or going around the world and photographing. And uh, he gave me that responsibility, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I know most people could never understand that somebody else, uh, someone could let someone else pick their images and throw away the others in the garbage can. Mm-hmm. But I learned it from him, and I, uh, I never abused that. When I was doing it, I, I probably maybe took more time and care into picking those images because I had the time because um, he was so busy and we we're finding the same thing. And so it, you can't just let anybody go do that. I mean, he was trained uh, by us and he, he learned to think like us in a lot of ways. But we did give him that responsibility. But I also want to jump in here and say that 
You know, very often if we're, for example, like this morning when we were out shooting, if we were doing something that was specific for a, a maybe it was be a teaching series or something like that, we we have ways of kind of flagging it in camera to ourselves so we know that perhaps this series has a certain purpose, not just like one of us would go in and say, I don't get what this was all about and delete them. Mm-hmm. So we have a way of kind of uh, making notes yeah, if we bracketed something, uh, then we have something we do in the camera. We actually take a shot of our hand a certain way. Or if we're doing a focus series stacking, we'll have a way of doing that. So basically, he would know all those things, too. But when when we do do it ourselves, too, we, we generally do. Neil does a lot of the major editing, but we do it together. We talk a lot about kind of, and if some something we were shooting, I was shooting or he was shooting, and he had a, a special sense of what he wanted it finished like or I did, you know, we talk about that. So it's not like I work on my images and he works on his images and then we put them together. We we kind of go go together with, with everything, you know, from a particular shoot. Yeah. Well, you guys do a good amount of traveling both, you know, around the United States and also abroad. And you guys have a real fondness for India. And I was interested in hearing you talk about you know, what is it about that particular country that resonates for the both of you? Well, it's really... Uh, like the most colorful place we've ever been. The people so couldn't be nicer. Uh, it, it's just one of those sensational places to go. And where we go and where we've gone in the past, uh, it's always been uh, just delightful every single bit of the way. However, we do talk to people who worry about India and... Uh, worry about either getting sick or worry about the poverty and things like that. But most of those people have only talked to people who have been on cruise ships who landed a port and have everybody uh, coming at them with uh, realizing they're coming off the ship for a very short time uh, and probably with a bunch of money in their pocket. So we're off in the boonies more, and we just don't see uh, that type of a problem. And we know how to eat there and um, as far as photography, you just can't find people more receptive to photography and who are curious and colorful and just lovely. And Every we're going moment. there next a year from this November in 2013. We're taking a group there and just can't wait to go back again. It's yeah. a, you know, it's it's a, it's a large slice of life that's so different than our culture and it's uh very receptive. It's it's a photographer's dream, but it's a cultural it's a cultural experience too that's that's never to be duplicated or to become mundane or or boring or anything. It's just a really wonderful wonderful experience and part of the world that's just I don't think you could ever walk down the same street and find anything repetitive or or the same or And everything is on the move at every second. I mean it is really um there's nothing standing still, nothing anywhere. If you don't if you don't take the shot now, forget it. It's not like uh Go change your ISO or go change anything. The shot just left. Yeah. Well, there's another one that comes right up. I mean, it's just, you know, there's it's a, it's a, it's a kaleidoscope of life that's just fascinating. Yeah, every, every, from what I've seen uh, of your work and other people who've shot there, it's kind of like a sensory overload. You get all those colors. You have all that vibrancy. You have all that movement. And I'm, I'm curious to hear whether 
over time, the way that you shoot in that country has has changed. Because I can imagine, you know, when I'm in an environment that is so explosive in terms of the visuals, it sort of uh, it kind of throws me off a bit, and it takes me a while to sort of get acclimated. But um, but I'm wondering if repeated visits sort of have allowed you to sort of adapt the way you capture all of those things that are happening in front of the lens? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think that w- one thing that's changed is when the sun gets really um, awful for regular color photography, black and white infrared. So as colorful as the country is, it's sensational in black and white infrared as well. And so that middle of the day when you really can't get uh, super uh, good contrast in colors and dynamic range, right there, infrared black and white is your friend. And uh, some of our favorite shots we've ever done in India have been that way. So on the one hand, I say colorful country and uh, colorful and culturally as well as actual colors. But black and white's one of those things. The other thing would probably be getting... Uh, even wider angle and thinking a lot more in terms of because their faces and their emotion strikes you so much at first you start doing portraits um, when you're first there and I think the longer you go you look for uh, more environmental portraits and things like that Hmm. how about you Susan I I I agree I mean I think you know it can be at first it's kind of an overwhelming and you want to in a sense take it all in and then you want to kind of maybe you hone yourself down to thinking you just want to capture this one person. And then I think you kind of, the more you're there and you kind of get your feet planted, you, you find the balance. You, you're able to find, find what it is about that particular area or person or, or market or something that's, that's so intriguing. And, and it, and it does. I mean, you, it sharpens your skill, it sharpens your eye. It, it really, uh, it really kind of not put you to the test, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge to come back in a sense with wonderful photos. Yet I'm thinking that every photo taken there can be wonderful because it's just the potential is, is explosive, as you said. So it's easy to find your subject. It's harder to do storytelling or have a lot of impact. One of the important things that I hear over and over again about doing travel photography is the importance of, of research. And there's so many resources now. You not, not only not only have books, but you have the, the Internet. You have, you know, message boards. Can you talk about not only the importance of, of, of research, but what sort of your, your, your workflow in terms of putting together materials to make sure that when you get there, you're able to take the greatest advantage of your time there? Boy, truthfully, we are probably the worst at what you just talked about. Really? <laughs> because we yeah. we know friends who know the exact angle of the sun. They know the exact tide every single day. They know every little aspect about everything on the map. And they always know where east, west, north, south is. We are kind of up in the air and all of that stuff. But we're really good at having a local guide. <laughs> we are the greatest. No, you're talking about out of the country. Well, uh, even in the country, even in the country. I mean, even in the Palouse, we have farmers that are our friends that help us know exactly where to go. Um, private land access, like we talked about, things like that. But internationally, the same kind of thing. And we are a little more uh, off the cuff on how we shoot like that and probably don't go in with the exact um, 
picture off the web that we want to duplicate or something sometimes like that. Sometimes I think it's, you know, sometimes I think it's really hard if people travel with certain expectations and it can become very frustrating. I mean, we do do research. We know what's going on. We know what festivals are going on or or if we're locally, how, you know, we're very aware of this, the light and the timing and the conditions of getting where we're going and what's there. I mean, it's not that we go there and just land like we fell off a turnip truck. We're really, you know, we're very cognizant of all that. But I don't think we set ourselves up to say we want to get this exact shot that we once saw. I mean, we're inspired by other images and and photos that we've seen, but we're a little bit more open to hoping to find that magic of the moment. You know, a lot of times you can't stand right where you want to stand. Uh, The weather isn't just the weather you came for. Uh, the person wanted the moon out and there's clouds so they can't do the star photography. We're always finding stuff anyway. We might be light painting and creating something um, on that evening. So we just don't get our expectations so high on a certain um, situation. Because uh, truly in travel, uh, everybody's got some logistical um, calendar they're with. They're going to be here today and they have to be there by tomorrow night. Uh-huh. And so you can't be there seven days in a row waiting for the weather to get right or um, a cloud to come over, whatever. So I, I think we just invent stuff no matter where we are in whatever situation, including bad weather, including rain. I mean, rain is our biggest friend sometimes. If you're in a city and you're in a hotel room, most people will say, let's go out to dinner. Um, we'll probably want to run out and shoot in the rain and get all the reflections in the streets and the umbrellas and th- that whole um that feeling that you get when you're photographing uh, rainy situations. Do you think and, that that's, that, that's the, the biggest strength that you guys bring as teachers is teaching people how to be, how to be open rather than being another, you know, photography workshop or, 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 or class that teaches people more of the technical. And is that, is that a more difficult thing to be able to pass on and encourage people to do? I think you're right. I think that probably is one of our strengths. And as far as it's being difficult, um, no, I don't really think so. To be honest with you, Neil can get so excited when we're, we can be standing in a field where everybody's looking around thinking, so what? And he can find, he can find a perspective. He can find an image. He can get people so excited and find a great image where, you know, at first glance, you might think, well, there's nothing really exciting here to shoot. So, I mean, we find it, we share it, and and people are usually pretty willing, and they're and they're anxious to to find something. I mean, one of the majority of reasons we always ask people why they've come to one of our workshops, and a lot of them are to try and see differently, see a little more creatively, change their perspective a little bit. That's one of the the big. Uh, drawings that people I think come out and shoot with other people and they want to get that energy get that inspiration and find something new and and that's something that we love to do and when we go back to places we've been to before we don't want to always be in the same place kind of getting the yes we get the classic image that everybody wanted of the arch or something but then we always try to find something new in a new way of presenting it and a, a personal way for somebody to tell their story about being there I'll never forget one time in the Palouse, we were on our way to dinner after the sun started to set and things weren't uh, real hot light-wise. And we were on our way and all of a sudden I saw a little light change and we drove up on this hill and the other people were in their cars and everybody's got walkie-talkies. 
and they all got out with me, and everybody kind of stood there with their tripods, looking for what are we? Why are we here? And then I pulled out some nutridensity filters, different colored ones, different types, and put it in front of people's lenses. And all of a sudden, they got so excited. And the whole group got so excited. And then when we left and went to dinner on the way, I I don't know how this happened. It was really unique. But somehow in the walkie-talkie, I said, everybody come up with a phrase about filters for a song. And I, do you remember what the song was? No. I don't even remember the song <laughs> now. Great, though. But anyway, they came up with different lines for the words to a song. And uh, everybody came up with their own little phrases on filters. I still have it printed somewhere. And it was one of the greatest songs, <laughs> lyrics you could ever want to hear. But they were excited all the way to dinner and through dinner. And uh, things like that happen. And uh, you just can't know when and where. Yeah. You guys told me, I think it was you guys who told me about this little vehicle that you would drive in when you would go to uh, photograph here in the States. Our uh, our truck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Beast. We call it the Beast. Yeah, the tell me about field. that. Well, it, it's a, uh, it was a commercial truck. It was a plumber's truck in its old life, its past life. And we, um, it looks like a garbage truck. If you were to see it, people have asked us if it's a garbage truck or an ice truck. And what we did is we pulled off the plumbers. It has a flatbed on it. We pulled off the plumbers. We pulled off the plumbers tools and put uh, a little, it's basically just your good old vanilla pop top camper on top of it. And so we have a lot of storage because what normally would have gone over the cab we're able to use as a storage facility. And it's great because when we're, of course, when we're there workshops, we're, we're in the same hotel that they are. But when we're out and about on our own, we're able to be so often right sleeping in the spot or right near the spot before the sun rises and, and able people, to stay And afterwards. people definitely remember us with it. <laughs> We've gone to places and they've said, you know, I don't remember your name, but I sure remember that truck. So it's <laughs> it's very distinct. It's taken us on some many miles. We were we lived in Alaska in it for four months. We went up for four months oh, one God. year. And, um, the, and actually, here's a funny story about that I love. We we first went to the Palouse. We had it, and we were uh, out in the fields, and we saw this farmer up on top with his tractor, and we pulled over, and we were thinking we wanted to go up and talk to him because we were looking for the canola, the yellow flowers that bloom out mm-hmm. there in the fields. So we were going to ask him if he had seen any because that was a year where there wasn't any planted. And Neil got out and started to walk up, and he came down to meet him, and he said he saw our truck, and he said he thought we were maybe going to dump something all over the side of the road. He had no idea Mm. what we were doing there. He's actually become one of our dearest friends, and we visit. He joins our group every year and has gotten us into some beautiful viewpoints up there, some private property off some of the big vistas that that he's aware of. And it's just uh, And he's become a really close friend, too. And he's a photographer. He was into photography. So once he saw the tripod, he was happy and relieved. That's that's me real nice. Uh, you uh, you shared some images uh, that you shot in the winery, and I think the last time I saw you, you guys were talking about about how you really like being able to photograph 
in in the wineries. What's what's the appeal there? Because I know it's it's close to home to where you where you live up north in the in the Bay Area. But uh, considering that you have the opportunity to travel to some exotic locations, what's the appeal of of something that's you know such a short distance away from your home? Let me tell you, if you walk in those vineyards with this color change, like uh, in the last month and now with grapes on the vine, and you just start walking down those aisles of vines, I'm telling you, it's got to be infectious to anybody. But most people never experience being out there. by, you know, on a car. They're usually driving by it. To go by that early in the morning at sunrise and maybe some fog lifting and that light coming through on it, it's so special. Almost no one knows what that looks like. They know how to go for wine tasting or they know how to get up on a hill and look at a vista after breakfast and all that. Um, but it's a little bit like being at Mesa Arch uh, for sunrise. It's the same kind of feeling. Mm. But Just, we've also go out and, and photograph the harvest itself, and we've gotten to know many of the workers and Every year we go back and they remember us and, um, you know, just their whole, their whole, there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful dance. I don't know, that's not the right word, but there's a, a, a symphony that goes on with the picking of the grapes that we try to capture. I mean, it's just a real, it's, it's worthy of respect and it's a beautiful I like that she said that. I mean, I've been a musician all my life and there is, there's a rhythm, there's actually a rhythm to the whole thing. And yesterday morning I was out there and they're all working so hard. Of course, I was actually too, just to photograph it. But then to go and eat that um, birria uh, with them and uh, and have a lunch with them, it's pretty special. Yeah, it seems like the, the relationship that you've had with the people that you've visited, that you've traveled with, that you photographed are a big part of what makes photography so special to you guys. It really is. It really is. And, and it's uh, definitely, a, you know, I mean, we, we love the landscapes. We love the, the vistas. We love everything about it. But normally we have somehow met someone somewhere and we can always connect that person emotionally or mentally or even hopefully with a photo with that whole area, too. So it, it's and a lot of people photograph on the sly. You know, we, we teach online. And, and the first thing people don't want to do is get the longest telephoto so they can hide behind a post somewhere and, and shoot some candid of somebody. And we tend to like to get permission. I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. This, the ones that want the silent uh, camera with the long lens. Um, uh, and we or, or they're looking at an angle uh, like with a wide angle and trying to get the person over on the side so they don't know it. We like to get permission. So we get to know the people and. Uh, we we never lose the moment uh, because of doing that, because after we get to know them and establish a relationship, they'll have, and maybe even take a picture of them with them posing and putting up their two fingers like you do in uh, Asia or something like that. We'll say cheese smile or the cheese smile. We'll take that cheap shot um, to satisfy them. But if we stick around longer, they'll get bored by us, go back to exactly what they were doing before. And now we've got permission and now we can just shoot away and do candid things, and we've gotten to know them and maybe show them the pictures afterwards or give them pictures, and we've established friendships all over the world like that. When I look at the, the travel pictures and even the stuff that you shot at the winery, uh, what I love about your, your photographs is how beautifully you use the light and, and the color. And c can you guys talk about when you find an interesting subject 
how much of a consideration is the light, the background, um, and all of those things in order to make an effective shot. I mean, you, you don't want to intrude too much, but you want to take advantage of all those, you know, the disparate elements to make a good photograph. So how, how do you work that out? Well, it's funny that you ask that because we, we have kind of a philosophy. It's kind of like our, although we don't like rules, it's our book of rules, but we believe there are six things that make a great image. And one is the subject, the light, the background, the edges, the conditions, the exposure or the uh, the uh, range, range, the dynamic range, and the perspective. So if we're, for example, out in the vineyard and we see somebody and he's got kind of a great face, he's character, he's picking, he's working hard, he's got the right colors on maybe, uh, the light's working, or we wait till he gets to an area where the light is working, you know, we, we stay around. We don't just grab the shot. So we, we consider all of that. And we can stay with one or two people, for example, out in a vineyard, stay with them for quite a while till we get the shot that we're looking for and want. And by then, he's, you know, it, it kind of goes around this, what Neil was saying before. He's comfortable with us. He's not self-conscious. He's just busy working and, and doesn't care if we're taking pictures of him or not. And it's the same in a marketplace in India or in Hong Kong or anywhere, uh, same thing applies. So there's those six things that Susan mentioned. But then, you know, we judge um, photo uh, contests, competitions with uh, when we lecture at clubs, that type of thing, or at conventions. And a lot of times we'll use the PPA uh, guidelines. And that's like 12 things that, number one, is impact and technical excellence creativity, style, composition. So there's that whole, all the way down to storytelling, including the six types of things we're talking about. So there's like different criteria and you've got to kind of establish what's important to you. Um, If you're more photojournalistic, then you might use more of the storytelling and impact. Uh, Whereas maybe light becomes more primary, background edges, things like that to someone else. Yeah. How how is... Your relationship to gear changed over over the years. I've kind of you know moved away from having a bunch of different equipment, and I like thinking, keeping things really light and simple now. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys are you like minded, or do you, are you like making sure that you have something in case you need it? <laughs> Funny you should ask. I would be more like you. And Neil thinks we he likes to have everything, the possibility of everything. Well, the possibility, but I don't want to be lugging it. It's but a real... I, I, you know, and uh, for instance, Nikon came out with a lens that's been um, an unbelievable lens uh, in the last bit. And they, they came out with a 28 to 300. Um, and it just does a lot of nice things and it's sharp as could be. So whereas nothing like that was ever available before, um, that does make a lot of things easier. But we have, you know, it's, and we have. But we're real happy. I'm real happy with uh, a 50 millimeter 1.4 and just put that on and walk away mm-hmm. and force myself to move my feet instead of uh, doing a zoom. So a lot of times I'll pick yesterday and today I started with a 20 millimeter uh, and just that was the only thing I had on my camera. I did have my car there with a larger lens if I needed it. Um, and only made one change one time. So, um, you know, I, I, we're both thinking lighter. She's much better at doing it. But I'm definitely uh, somebody that can commit 
to one lens and be very happy for a long time with it. Mm. Um, I just sometimes need the other stuff available. That's all. But great question. And we're all pretty much slaves to the game that they've put us in. um, If you like to have new things and be on top. And with teaching, we kind of got forced into uh, the digital arena originally because we had people that were film shooters and then as it switched and there was uh, 40-60, then 60-40, then 80% digital, and then almost 100% digital, we obviously had to learn it and be on top of the game to be able to teach and communicate. So, um, But in terms of amount of gear and um, heaviness, uh, no more heavy big backpacks, uh, but maybe uh, something on the belt with an extra lens or a flash or something like that. Oh. Sure. And it's also it's uh, it's good for I think it's good for everybody to 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 put a lens on and commit to it and you know make yourself work for the lens not wish you were had brought the other lens but find what you can do with this with the one that's on your camera at the time and and you know amen I mean that is so images. important it makes you get the best shots and yes there'll be a couple shots you can't get but the ones you get probably will be much better. Than if you're trying to think like every lens in the bag. Yeah. Like opens a new window in your mind too. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that if I hadn't been using this lens type of thing. Do each of you have a shot that the other person took that you feel like it's not just your maybe your favorite shot, but there's a shot that go, God, I wish I had made that. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Could you describe <laughs> what that shot was for each of you? That would oh, be I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one that Susan did not too long ago it was in. Uh, in Whidbey Island in uh, Washington, we're teaching for the Art Institute there in Coopville, and she got a shot, uh, I think maybe I had sent it to you, with a guy next to uh, a combine, and he's just standing there with the dark black clouds uh, in front of him and his bald head uh, with the light just shining on his head. Uh, what a special <laughs> shot. I mean... <laughs> So special. What do you, what do you like about it so so much? Oh my God! It's simplicity. It's impact. It's light. It's design. Everything is in exactly a great place for. I mean, no one sees that without going. Wow! It's yeah. just one of those ones. Even if it's in a slideshow, and there's a, a an audience. I mean, you're going to hear uh, a, a buzz when it comes up. And how about you, Susan? Oh, that's really hard because I, so many of Neil's, I mean, I really, really do like, I love his, I love his close-ups. I think he's really, really strong, stronger than I am with really coming in with close-ups and perfecting it, whether it's flowers, grapes, or even just a, um, a, a detail in a, in a place we're at or, or a person. I think he's... He's really got the. He's a master of that over over both of us, and the, so many of his close up images are so strong. They're simple and strong, and and really resonate with me. And and I see them, and I and I think I I can do that. I, I'll do that next time. And somehow I just kind of miss the miss the boat on it. So yeah. I really I really admire that part of his work. That's that's really strong for me. Well, my my last question that I ask of each of my guests is that I ask them to recommend and suggest 
one other photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? And we'll start off with you, Susan. With me? Hmm. Let me think. Well, it's really hard because I, it's hard to go for me to go into one that I would say, uh, I'll tell you the, uh, when I look at um, W. Eugene Smith's work, he was a photojournalist. I mean, I hardly ever see any of his images that it just doesn't go right to the core for me. So that's more along the street of street photography and life's photography and his black and white. But I just find his his work just resonates with me and and. Uh, it just really worms its way into my soul, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? I don't. Oh, absolutely. Look, I look at a photo and I I don't forget it. I just don't forget it. It haunts me. So that would be who I would say if I was walking down and all these uh, books of photography were there, I would stop and always pull that out and look through at his images. And about you, Neil? Avedon. Hmm. Avedon, and to see one of his shows um, with the full-scale pictures in a large uh, museum show showing, I've never seen anything that powerful in my life in photography. Um, the American West, the way he portrayed people, the way he lit them, uh, and the perspective that he shot them with, uh, top-notch that I've ever seen in my life. Well, those are both wonderful recommendations. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find out more about all the things that you're doing? Oh, that's great. Thank you. Well, we have a website, and it's www.silvermansphotography.com. It's our name plural, so it's silvermansphotography.com. And we have uh, some of our images up there. We have most of our workshops. We're in the process of getting our 2013 schedule up now, but more things are going to be added. And we're also happy if anybody wants to sign up. We're generating a newsletter that'll be going out, and that there's a uh, opportunity to sign up for that on our website. But um, we're adding some new things hopefully this year. Some new ideas that we've got going. We're going to be going to Washington D.C. to do some urban landscapes too as well as our uh natural you know uh, nature and and uh, wildlife type landscapes so we're excited about that too so also india next november and we're going to be doing death valley and uh some of the same places we've done in the past and some new ones that will be coming up route 66 and uh, soon after uh, India, we're going to be doing Costa Rica. So there's just all kinds of things coming up, but lots in the southwest of uh, the United States and the northwest for sure. Yeah, and uh, if anyone's looking into that, I heartily encourage you. I think there are they're, they're no better people to learn photography from than Neil and Susan. So if you're thinking about it, don't think about it too long. <laughs> so thanks all again, right. guys, for, for sitting down with me and talking. It was so much oh, it's fun great. to talk to you. It's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing your time with us. We really appreciate it.
The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod, and this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.